Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Hold on tight as we navigate the turbulent waters of the South China Sea on today's morning shot. U.S. President Joe Biden has reconfirmed the United States' ironclad defense commitment to the Philippines as he warned China that the U.S. will defend its longtime ally in case of any attack in the disputed waters. It's indeed crunch time in the South China Sea as fears of an open conflict are soaring after a decade of slow but steady escalation. Following two collisions between Filipino and Chinese vessels in the contested waters in recent weeks, both sides have filed diplomatic protests against Against one another, calling the collisions intentional. Mm, and this row comes as China battles a number of other issues, including the sacking of its defense minister, Li Shangfu, as well as the passing of its former premier, Li Keqiang. For more insights, we are joined by Lim Tai Wei, a young research fellow at the National University of Singapore's East Asian Institute. Good morning, Tai Wei. Good morning to you. Hey, thanks for joining us. So, first on the South China Sea tensions between China and the Philippines, do you think both countries are headed for a well, collision course right now? Well, uh, currently they are moderating, uh, you know, factors on the uh, bilateral relationships because uh, both sides uh, actually do not uh, want a conflict. And the um, mention about improving a relationship between the U.S. and uh, China, particularly through the uh, Wang Yi and uh, Blinken talks that are ongoing at the moment, uh, probably would moderate uh, tensions to a certain extent. In addition, uh, I think the, the Philippines is also uh, has a strong support uh, of the allies to uh, maintain a sort of a status quo on certain issues. Uh, so in that sense, uh, there are moderating effects on the um, bilateral relationship. There are also moderating voices in uh, Filipinos' uh, media of record that there's a need to uh, tune down the tensions and temperatures in that particular region. All right, this confrontation has been going on for quite some time, decades in fact, but something has changed in recent months. Perhaps in the early stages of the conflict, it may have gone under the radar, but now these spats are unfolding in the full glare of the television media. What do you make of the Philippines government's move in feeding more videos of the encounters to local media since January this year? Uh, I think the uh, videos, from their perspective, uh, were released uh, in accordance with transparency uh, and openness, and uh, they wanted to uh, sort of show the world the uh, core issues that are involved uh, in the maritime uh, dispute. Uh, after all, uh, Philippines is a uh, liberal democracy, and uh, therefore uh, showing transparency to the public is uh, needed, particularly since uh, there's accountability to the electorate. Uh, for the uh, tensions is partly due to uh, the uh, the fact that uh, there are uh, rotational you know errors uh, in uh, the presidency. Sometimes you get a strong sort of uh, president uh, that is robust about uh, defending national interests. But the previous administration, on the other hand, uh, had a much more uh, sort of conciliatory uh, approach uh, towards China. So uh, this is a function of uh, liberal democratic uh, systemic uh, features. Remains to be seen how the tensions will be moderated with uh, the uh, inputs from uh, all parties and stakeholders involved. All right, so let's take a look at what's been playing out. We've got China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi in Washington for a three-day visit and he raised hopes of a more steady relationship between the world's two largest economies. So let's take a look at this face-off between the Chinese and the Philippines side. How much will this damage the trust between the US and China? 
Well, it is uh, certainly uh, one issue given that uh, the uh, Philippines is a treaty ally of the U.S. and therefore the U.S. is obligated to uh, defend uh, its uh, national uh, interests and also its security uh, needs. Uh, therefore, this remains an issue that's present probably uh, in any bilateral relationship between the two superpowers. Uh, we don't know uh, if it will be raised uh, in the uh, talks. Uh, if it does, it's probably behind closed doors. Mm. But at the, at the moment, uh, it appears that the visit itself by uh, Mr. Wang uh, is a moderating effect as they plan for a possible meeting uh, in APEC uh, San Francisco uh, in November 2023. Uh, therefore, if the meeting takes place, it's quite likely symbolically uh, to be a, a positive uh, effect on the atmospherics uh, between the uh, two superpowers and it's likely to have uh, peripheral uh, effects on uh, its allies' issues with uh, China as well. All right, and just following on from that, do you think this is also going to affect uh, the ongoing code of conduct talks with respect to achieving a stable, safe and peaceful South China Sea? Uh, given that the uh, code of conduct is a multilateral uh, issue or forum or platform, therefore it is uh, going to be one of the many inputs uh, into the uh, code of conduct, which is currently at a stage uh, in which uh, all issues are now binded uh, under a single document. And there are enthusiastic responses on all sides to uh, sort of speed up the progress on the uh, code of conduct. It remains to be seen uh, whether it can resolve uh, actual uh, territorial issue, but uh, it is another moderating effect on uh, behaviours uh, that may lead to accidental clashes. And so this is uh, very helpful to uh, tune down the temperatures uh, in the region as well. All right, let's turn our attention to China's domestic politics here. Defence Minister Li Shangfu was recently dismissed. We know China has not given an official reason, but we know he was under investigation earlier for corruption as well. And as General Li's troubles coincide with the rumoured scandal surrounding Qin Gang, who lost his job as foreign minister in July, what's your assessment of the mysterious disappearance, shall we call it, of China's ministers and how much reshuffling President Xi Jinping will have to make in the coming months as a result? Well, uh, according to the uh, official announcement, uh, he has been dismissed, but not much uh, details have been uh, given. So this, this leads to a lot of uh, speculation, but they remain speculation at the moment. It is quite unlikely that we will have more information, given that Chinese system tends to uh, consider these kinds of issues regarding a dismissal or reasons of dismissals as matters of national security. Therefore, we are quite unlikely to get an ambiguous uh, take on this issue, and perhaps only uh, international media speculation. But having said that, the most important thing to note is that the defense minister and its uh, role in uh, the Chinese system or the foreign minister's uh, role in the Chinese system is actually not as important as their counterparts uh, in uh, the other countries, particularly in the West, because it is actually the state councillor, the uh, Politburo Standing Committee, and the director of foreign affairs of the uh, party that is actually more important. So in that sense, the defense minister and the foreign minister is kind of like playing an ambassadorial role for their ministries, and uh, they are much more on the executive side rather than the policy side. And so given that uh, Wang Yi, for example, has uh, taken over as uh, the director of uh, foreign affairs as well as the foreign minister, it gives real sort of bite to the role or position of uh, the personality of Wang Yi because he can actually have actual policy uh, inputs. Currently, the uh, defense minister post remains uh, vacant, but if you look at the Shangsan Forum that's taking place right now, it appears that uh, he will be represented by his bosses within the Central Military Commission. So those are actual figures that can make decisions and have policy inputs rather than the ambassadorial roles 
of the ministers, whether it's foreign minister or defence minister, at the ministerial level. Yeah, Tawei, talk about how the political landscape and maybe even the tone of policy making is evolving in China. Uh, we had some recent news of former Premier Li Keqiang dying of a heart attack last Friday, barely seven months after retiring from a decade in office. So he was an elite economist who supported a more open market economy, advocating for supply-side reforms and approach dubbed economics that was never fully implemented. He had to ultimately bend to seize preference for more state control and his former power base weighing in influence as he installed his own acolytes to powerful positions. So you've got that playing out and of course he was succeeded by Li Chiang. How would you compare both of them and what exactly does China's economy need right now? Premier Li Keqiang was a technocrat through and through. Uh, he belongs to an era uh, in which uh, the system uh, that uh, China had in place was a collective leadership uh, system that slowly transitioned into a centralised core leadership system. And so in that sense, uh, he played the role of a very faithful uh, technocrat with uh, economist uh, training. He has a PhD in economics and an undergraduate degree in law. So in that particular era, as uh, China was uh, maturing into a major economic power, he played the role of uh, navigating uh, in the executive, in the state council, taking instructions and policy inputs from the Politburo Standing Committee to put into place issues like uh, poverty alleviation. And during his uh, watch, China actually uh, transitioned out of absolute poverty and also navigating the Belt and Road Initiative from collection of countries that were apparently associated with the ancient maritime and uh, overland Silk Road to uh, a global initiative. Now, in the case of uh, Premier Li Chang, which is the current premier, uh, he now uh, functions within a core leadership uh, system that's highly centralized. And so he uh, will be uh, taking instructions from the core leader, which is uh, President Xi Jinping. And so it will be a very different environment as uh, China navigates uh, through geopolitical tensions and risks and also manages a post-pandemic uh, economy uh, like many other countries uh, in the world. Uh, it has its own particular aspects and systems in the sense that uh, the uh, current administration places a lot of premium on loyalty and uh, you know fidelity to uh, national goals and uh, patriotism. So in that sense, uh, he will be operating in a very different uh, external environment. All right. It seems like China still has much to do to get its internal house in order. We'll be keeping our eyes peeled on further developments on that front. Tai Wei, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Anytime. We've been in conversation with Lim Tai Wei, an adjunct research fellow at the National University of Singapore's East Asian Institute. We have, of course, been discussing the escalating tensions between China and Philippines in the South China Sea in light of two recent collisions between vessels of the respective countries, as well as how China is navigating a series of uncertainties revolving around its domestic politics. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.